GMO seeds and, and plants are now not allowed in organic, um, in organic certification because, because organics is, is wanting things to be done in a natural way and this is a very unnatural human intervention. Um, I, I personally don't like the idea of GMOs because it's, it's not following, you know, God established a way and a process for things to work on in this world and it's not following that process. And I, I was just, I think I was telling Rodney the other day, we were at his place talking about the rabbits in Australia, you know, rabbits were a real issue here. Somebody, somebody thought they would be a good source of meat and, uh, you know, well, they, I guess they were too good. So, um, you know, we, we, we've, we've discovered over time that, that introducing foreign things into new environments can often backfire and cause a lot of trouble. You know, it wasn't just rabbits here. It's been a lot of different things all around the world. Pardon? Serrated tussock. Yeah. Uh -huh. It's a weed. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we have we have a number of weeds that have been introduced at home that um, you know, for forage or for something else, they, they they've just gone crazy. And uh, they're a real problem. So my, anyways, my, my idea, my thought is that if, you know, if we've had these experiences and, and situations on a, on a macro scale, you know, like with these different things, um, doesn't anyone think that there could be a possibility of having those same kind of situations on a micro scale, you know, as in, foreign gene material that's in the wrong place and, and causing who knows what problems, you know. And the, the longer they've been out there, the more concern they're raising. You know, we're starting to see more and more concern. And I'm not totally, there's a, there's a lot of allergy, asthma and gut issues that people are starting to to point towards GMOs as as being the cause of, of those things. Um, I'm not totally sure whether whether the issue is actually the GMO or or whether it's the you know most of these GMOs are, are bred so that they can um, so that they can survive Roundup. You know that's one of the, the the genes that they have bred into them is so that they can survive Roundup. And um, the Roundup itself, might, you know, the, the the consumption of Roundup since we've introduced GMOs has just gone like this. And so. 
I, I know they did a test on people in the U.S. and 90% of the population that they that they did the test on, uh, it was a urine test. They had they had Roundup in their in their urine. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's in everything. But and and not only that, you know. So they're they're not only spraying it just on on GMO crops, but they're. I just discovered this within the last year or so that they're also doing it, using it for a lot of other crops as a desiccant, you know, to dry the crop out so that they can harvest it all at once. Like a lot of your grains, wheat and, and, and other grains, because when you have very large fields of hundreds or thousands of acres, it won't all be, you know, coming ready for harvest at the same time. There'll be some variation. And so just to make it all ready at the same time, they'll, they'll spray it. And then they harvest it and they sell it to us when it, after it's been sprayed, you know. Um, so. They do that with potatoes as well. Yes, I've heard that. And, and in America, they do it with peanuts and they do it with sunflowers, uh, a lot of different things. It's become a very common practice. So. You know, if, if you want to, to eat a, a safe diet, you've got to grow it yourself, basically. Or, or eat organic, you know, but that's, that gets pricey. So <laughs> that's, that's why we're growing. So um, anyways, GMOs, I, you know, I, I, have, I have a lot of concerns about them. And I, I don't want to support them. And I, 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 I'm also really concerned about the you know the the businesses that are that are producing them and selling them. It seems that they're very power hungry. You know they're trying to get a corner on the, on the seed market, and and that's very concerning as well. And they're I know that they are introducing they're trying to introduce legislation into into countries that. Um, make it illegal for people to save their own seed. I just, I just heard that, that something like that has been introduced in Tanzania. And I, I, I feel like that's wrong. That, that is just wrong because seeds are a gift that God gave to us. And you know, you know to me, it's, it's, it's almost, it's on a moral level there. Yeah. So. We, we have done a little bit of that, but um, not a lot. You know, when, when, you're, when you're growing for market, it's, that's a whole other level to add on to it. But for, for growing for, for yourself, I think it's a really a good thing to look at. Um, the, the next, I, I'll talk more about that. The next kind of seed that you'll find out there is, is called hybrid seed. Do you know what that is? Okay. Okay. Um, the, pardon? Yeah, that's the, the um, 
it's, the, there is some truth to that, but that's not the full story. It's not totally accurate. Um, what, a, what a hybrid is, is you, you take two, two plants of the same species. So, for example, um, in Brassica olerica is the scientific name for cabbage, for kale, for collards, for Brussels sprouts, and, and um, kohlrabi. I mean, a whole bunch of things. It's, it's the same species of plant, but, it, but there, there are all these different varieties of it. And so, anyways, you, you take two different, you take two plants, you know, maybe, maybe you have tomatoes and, and you know, this, this variety has, has really good taste and this variety has really good disease resistance and you're wanting something that has both, you know, the, the disease resistance and the taste. So you, you cross them. This, this cross is called the F1 generation in, a, um, you know, in, bio, in, in, in um, genetics. So that, when, when you buy a hybrid seed, that's what that is. It's the F1. In fact, in a lot of seed catalogs, the way you'll know that, that the seed is a hybrid seed, they don't always say hybrid, but they'll, they'll say F1. And then you know that, that you, you're getting a hybrid seed. Now, can, can that seed reproduce? Yeah, it can reproduce. Because it's, I mean, it's good seed. It's, it's just, this is something that happens in nature all the time. There are crosses. You know, if you, I don't know if you've done this. I, we've had, had squash come up on our compost pile. We didn't know what it was. And, and we're looking at it and figuring out that it's a cross between two squashes that we had, you know, before. That somehow they crossed and the seed got in the compost pile. Um, so that's the F1 generation. And it's good seed, and it, it can reproduce. But the, the, the thing is, is that it, it has all the genetics of, of this parent and of this parent. And so its offspring um, will, will have a wide range of characteristics. Okay, they, they won't, you, you might have a few that, that have these characteristics that you wanted. Okay, but, but you'll have a lot of other ones that have, you know, things this way or things that way or other funny mixes. So, so you'll have a, a wide variety of, of offspring from that. So that's why people say the hybrids are not good to save for seed because you don't know exactly what you're going to get. But um, there are people who, who have taken a, a hybrid tomato variety, for example, that they really liked. And they, and they say, you know, I want, uh, I want an open pollinated tomato. You know, I want a seed that I can save for this variety. 
they'll, they'll, they'll take that F1 and, and plant the seed from it and, and then look for the few that have the characteristics that they want. Save that seed and, and, and then plant that. And, and that will be the F2 generation. Okay? And, and by the time you go through seven or eight generations, you're, you've generally got something that is breeding fairly true. And so you can, you can work from a hybrid to an open pollinated. And, um, you know, it's, it's just going to take you time if you have the patience and interest to do that. <laughs> so, um, In America, a lot of people have questions about whether hybrid seeds are, are safe to use. You know, they, they confuse them with GMOs, and um, there's a lot of questions out there. Uh, hybrid, it, hybrid seeds are, are accepted in, in organic standards, and, and we do use hybrid seeds on our farm. Um, hybrid seeds often have, are, are more vigorous. They, they will produce a more standard crop and, and they often are bred to have certain disease resistances and, and other things that, that make them desirable to use, especially on a, on a you know, growing for market level. Um, if, you're, if you're growing for home consumption, um, I, I would tend to go towards the open pollinated ones more, just because, you know, then you can save your seed and, and, and know what you're doing. So that is the, the next, um, open pollinated seeds are, are seeds that you can save the seed from. And there, there's a, a fourth um, type of a name applied to seeds that you'll, you'll hear a lot, and that's heirloom seeds. Um, heirloom seeds and open pollinated seeds are, are essentially the same thing. The, the only difference is that heirloom seeds are, are varieties that have been handed down from generations. So they're um, you know, your grandparents, great-grandparents, you know, whoever. They, they kept that variety and, you know, so it's an heirloom. <laughs> so um, the open pollinated seeds, people are, are, are breeding new varieties of open pollinated seed all the time. So not every open pollinated is an heirloom. But every, every heirloom is an open pollinated. That makes sense. So, um, yes. So you talk about hybrid F1, F2, you can continue to develop the same type. Yes. What's that different to the other types that has been developed that way and used as an open pollinate? No, that, that's how they got okay. open pollinated seeds is by going through that process. Initially, it's hybrid, but later on, it can be called Yeah, it's usually by the time you get to F7 or 8, 
and so each each time the, your your genetic diversity in the seeds is going to be less and less each time each generation you do it and so by the time you get to here you have a fairly standard um, you know seed that's true to type and so you can be fairly sure that probably 90% of your seed at least is going to be what you want you'll still get stray you know every once in a while even in, in the seed that we buy we get a stray thing that's different than than everything else and so you know they're, they're it takes a long time to get those all those genes weeded out <laughs> so. any other questions on that okay um, I want to Just talk, make, make some spiritual connections for a minute here. Um, in Genesis 1, 29 and 30, God said to Adam and Eve, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, Everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. Do you see any distinction between what God gave man and what God gave the other creatures? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You notice there, it says, I... I have given, he says to man, I have given you every plant bearing seed and every tree with seed and its fruit. And for the animals, he just says every green plant. So, you know, if, if you think, you know, I've, growing up in, in school, I heard a number of attempts to distinguish between people and, and other creatures. You know, what can we say is the difference? Well, I think this is one difference. Um, only man manages seeds. You know, there there are creatures that will that will take seeds and um, you know maybe plant. You know, in in the in North America we have squirrels. They'll they'll take acorn seeds and and dig a little hole to to bury it you know, as a food store for winter, but then they don't always remember where they buried all these acorns, and so it turns into a tree. So he planted a tree, but, you know, they, he's not managing seeds. You know, man plants seeds, harvests them, stores them, um, we breed them. There's no creature that does all those things with seeds. So seeds are, I believe that, you know, when, when God gave Adam and Eve their, their place in the garden, it's, it's like he said, you know, this, your, your job is to have dominion over, over this earth and particularly this garden, and, and I'm giving you a resource to work with. You know, this is, this is your resource, this is your tool, it's seeds. So that's the, the fundamental 
resource that God has given us to work with in this world. And part of that's, you know, that understanding also is part of the reason why I feel that this whole GMO idea is really wrong. <laughs> because this is, this, is a, this is God's gift to, to mankind. Yeah. Um, so, seeds, seeds have two uses. One is for eating and the other is for sowing. You know, as um, in Isaiah 55, verse 10, it says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So seeds have two roles for us, but the, even though it's two roles, it's for one purpose. It's for, to give us life. And um, in Genesis 1.28, it says that God blessed them. That's Adam and Eve. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Um, again, I, I really feel like this is, you know, God, God said that he wanted us to have dominion over the earth. But the, the goal or the aim of the dominion that God gave us is that we be fruitful and multiply. I, I, I see that as the, it's God's aim for the whole creation, that it be fruitful. Um, so, it, you know, when it was a blessing that God placed on them, but God's blessings are also like commands. You know, it's... It's what, what he asked us to do. And so, you know, we, we bear fruit in, in numerous ways. Um, you know, the, probably the first one we think of is like having children. Um, but we also bear fruit when we have a fruitful garden, right? And um, I, I believe that Fruit is representative of anything that we labor to undertake and, and then we get a result from it. You know, the, the result of our labor is fruit. And um, so it could be um, fruit of the spirit or souls for the kingdom. That's all fruit. And in 2 Corinthians 9.10, it says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So, you know, that's what God wants for us. He wants, he wants to equip us to sow seed and increase the harvest of our righteousness. And in Galatians 5.22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Um, and in Ephesians 5, 8 to 11, walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and true. Take no part in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. 
So God's intention is that we bear fruit, not just any kind of fruit, but good fruit, you know, life-giving fruit. Um, good seed or fruit is always the result of two things. Um, one is labor. It's always the result of labor. And, and second, of intimate relationships. Um, it is the result of thoughtful intimacy and relationships of knowing, you know, that's a, a relationship between the gardener and the plants, between male and female, between God and man. And um, in John 15, 8, Jesus said, by this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. You know, it's, it, is, it is God's desire and his intention that we be fruitful, that we bear fruit. So. Um, what time do we finish? How much? Okay, about 21 minutes. Okay, I'm, I want to talk just briefly about direct seeding and transplanting. We've already talked about it a little bit. Um, I've told you several times that we, we like to transplant. Can you give me any, any reasons why transplanting might be more preferable than direct seeding in most cases? <laughs> okay, so you're starting in a hot house. So you have a you're, you're germinating in a protected environment. Pardon? Particular nurture in infancy. Yes. So, so usually when you're starting transplants, they're, they're in a place where you can keep an eye over them. And, yeah. Yes? Okay, good. Yeah, so you, your, your transplants, when you, when you put them in the soil, they're, they're ahead of everything else. This is a really big thing. Um, you know, I, I, I've said that we always direct seed our carrots. And um, the, the challenge with carrots is that they, they tend to be on the slow side of germinating. You know, they, they take a little longer than a lot of things to germinate. And so that means that your, your weeds um, are, are often ahead of the carrots, or at least, you know, even with them. 
in the worst case, they're even with them. But, you know, they're usually ahead of them. And, and so it's a real issue, you know, trying to keep ahead of the weeds. And, you know, uh, so many times we've been down on our, on our hands and knees picking, you know, the weeds out of the carrots. That's, that's a pain. <laughs> so, you know, if you, can, if you can get a head start by putting a mature plant in the ground, the, the ground is freshly worked. Um, and so it'll probably start germinating seed weeds, but you know you you can you can easily take your cultivating tools and and work you know cultivate around your transplants in a way that you can't do if your weeds and your your plants are the same size. Okay, any other reasons for transplanting? Um, another, another reason we, we like to do it is that when you, when you direct seed, for example, we've, I, we often with beets, we'll direct seed and we'll transplant. But when, when we direct seed, we get a real spotty and, and rough germination you know you'll have a bunch of beets coming up together here and then an empty space and then and then some more and you know and it's 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 just kind of rough when when you transplant you're only transplanting those those transplants that did well and so you you get a, a real nice stand of whatever you you put put in and so that's that's uh, you know you're you can be fairly sure that you're going to get a harvest from whatever you transplant. You know it, it needs to be some kind of serious major thing that's going to prevent that from happening, like a kangaroo gets in your garden or something. <laughs> um, Another, another thing is efficiency. Uh, efficiency of space, of garden space. Um, by by using transplants, you can you can have you can produce more per square foot of garden space than if you direct seed. Does that make sense? Because you you're having your plants in the ground for a shorter time, so you can you can take out one one crop and put in transplants. Whereas if you put in the seeds, you're going to be two to three weeks longer. Three to maybe three to four weeks longer um, occupying that piece of ground. Um, yeah, I think those are the the main the main reasons that we we like to transplant. Um, yes. Can I ask, how do you optimize the success of your plants? 
Okay. Is that when you cover that somewhere else? No, this would be the place here. Um, first off, if you can if you can plant with soil on the roots in a plug or a soil block, that's going to be a lot less stress on the plant. If you're if you're doing a bare root planting, that that is very stressful on the plant. So we, we don't ever do that. Um, we're, we're, what we like to use is, is something called a soil block, and I'm not sure that you have soil blockers available here. But, pardon? Um, you, need to, you need to get a good potting mix, and you... We, we make our own a lot. We, we, buy, we buy potting mixes occasionally too. But um, you, you can make a potting mix by, by using um, peat moss or coconut core. You know, I don't know if you have that, but peat moss. And... and um, Compost, and then you need you need to add some nutrients to it, um, a nitrogen source, a, a potassium source, and a um, phosphorus source for your for your seeds germinating. So that that's kind of the minimum, and and we also put in a um, we also put in um, some perlite. And, and instead of perlite, you can use vermiculite, you know, one or the other. So the, the, both of those things um, tend to hold water, and so they, they, they help to prevent the soil from drying out as fast as it would. Um, so... We, we will generally use um, something, I mean, there, there are so many recipes out there, but this is, this is one um, about three, I think we're, we're using a, like a two gallon bucket. You, you can just make it proportional, whatever size you're, you're using. Could be coconut core, either either one. Um, two buckets of compost. And one of, of perlite. Or like I said, you could use vermiculite. Um, pardon? Yes, yeah, those are all buckets. And then um, for, for, the, um, for the nutrient mix, we've, 
we've generally made up a, a mix of um, well, our, our original recipe was one part um, blood meal for the end, one part um, soft rock phosphate. And one part green sand. And I, I think you could, do you, do you have um, ground up seaweed, dried seaweed available as a product for? I, I think you probably do, yeah. So it's, it's, it's just in small pieces. And I think you could use that, because I'm not sure if you have green sand. I know that's in, a product mined in North America. But if you, if, you, if you don't have green sand, you could use, I think you could use kelp equally there. So we, we, mix, we mix these you know, in, in this proportion, and then we, we use a, an eight ounce jar, you know, about one cup. Of, of this to this mix. For that. Okay. So which mineral does green sand supply? That's potassium. Yeah. And both the green sand and the and the kelp would would not only supply potassium but a number of other micronutrients. And one thing to keep in mind is that when you are when you are doing this for your transplants and you're and you're planting the transplants with with the soil on them, you're also investing in your soil. Does that make sense? So it's you know you're not you're not losing anything. It's all good <laughs> by by doing that. Okay. Um, so I do want to talk just a little bit about direct seeding. Good, thank you. Um, the, another thing that, that we always do when we transplant, we, we like to do it, the, the ideal time to do it is in the evening. Because then the, they have the night to kind of adjust to their new situation. And so that's, that's really important. It's really important to water them in. Watering them in does, does a couple of things. One is it, of course, gives the moisture which they need. 
And, and the second thing is that it'll help settle the soil so that they're, they'll hopefully have better contact with the soil. Um, we, have, we have tried, you know, on, on our farm, there's, there's been a kind of a minor controversy between those who say that you need to press the plants in as you transplant them and those who say you just put them in and throw the dirt on. Because it's, I mean, you know, when, you, when you're trying to do it on, on a scale, you're, you're trying to get them in as fast as you can. You know, you've got hundreds that you're putting in at, at a time. And um, we, to be honest, we can't see a significant difference between those two things. So um, it's kind of up to you on that, I think, you know, how you feel about it. Um, trying to think anything else. You know, if you're, if you're in a very hot environment, oh, one, one thing that's really important is if, if you are growing your transplants under plastic or, or, or under a shade cloth, um, they, they need to have some time to get adjusted to full sun. And so what we will do for that is um, we, will, we will bring them out from under that. And we have a, one way we do this is, is we have a, a hoop house that is oriented east and west. Okay, so, so that means the two ends, one end is facing east and one end is facing west. And so we'll, we'll bring them out and set them on a table outside on the, the end facing east. So they'll, they'll catch the morning sun and then they'll be in the shade for the afternoon. And so, you know, that, that just, if they, if they can get some full sun in a, in a moderated way for a day or two, it's actually two or three days would be best. Then they'll be ready to go out into full sun. But if you take them straight out from under the plastic or under a shade cloth, they're, they're too tender and, and they won't be able to make it. So that's, you, we call it hardening off. And if you're in a place where, where you're wanting to do this in early spring, another reason is, is the temperatures, the, the cold, they're not adjusted to that. And so you, people will actually take them out and let them experience some cold and then bring them back in. And I, I heard of some, one guy who, who did all his transplants on a trailer and then he would just pull the trailer out and then back it back in and <laughs> thought that was pretty smart. So anyways, it, you know, hardening them off is, it's, it's an extra step and it's quite a bit of effort moving things around, but, but it can, it does pay off. So it's, it's worthwhile. Otherwise, if you put the plant straight out, they'll, they'll get these, these yellow blotches from being sunburned on the leaves, and it, it, it just sets them back a bit. Probably, yeah, it depends on how hot and you know, how direct your sun is, but it, it's probably not gonna kill them unless, you, unless your situation's pretty severe, but it'll set them back a little bit. Um, I, 
Um, we, we don't get a lot of wind, but wind is an issue. And wind can almost be more destructive to, to plants than the cold. Yeah. So, for example, inside our hoop house, um, our plants can survive much colder temperatures inside than outside. And it's, I, it's largely because of the air movement. You know, they, so the wind can, can desiccate them. So, you know, this, this isn't just for transplants, but it's for, for anything in the garden. If you have prevailing winds from a certain direction, if you can erect some sort of a barrier there, you know, um, a, a living barrier with shrubbery or trees is, is ideal, I think, but you can also use fences or other things to erect a barrier, and that, that can really help a lot. Yeah. So, any other questions on that? Let me just cover a, a couple of things on, on direct seeding. Um, so I've, I've kind of given you the, the crops that we, we do like to direct seed are the, kind of the, the deeper rooted ones like carrots and um, possibly turnips, although we've transplanted turnips, and then, and then high density crops where we're trying to grow a lot in the bed for mainly for baby greens. Um, and, and then fast-growing crops like radishes. Um, we will also tend to direct seed beans, you know, anything in the legume family. They, they don't seem to transplant well, and, and, and they're, it's, it's just not feasible to, you know, you've got a high density of them in a, in a row, and all of those transplants is kind of overwhelming. So. We'll, we'll generally um, direct seed them. Um, one thing to keep in mind is that your germination for direct seeding is always going to be less than, um, than is what's written on the package. You know, the, the, the germination written on the package is under ideal conditions. And when you're direct seeding, you're not, you don't have ideal conditions. And it, it's not just that um, some seeds won't germinate. Um, creatures are going to get some of them and eat them. And you know, there's, there's a, a lot of different things that can happen. So generally, just as a rule of thumb, give yourself a fudge factor of 50 to 100%. So you know, half, plant half again or twice as much as, as what, you, what you want to have coming up in the stand. Do you understand that? So, um, and, then, and then the other thing is just a, a rule of thumb on how deep to plant your seeds. Um, the seed depth should be three to four times the thickness of the seed. So if, if your seed is a pea, um, that's you know, maybe a quarter of an inch um, around. So you, you'll want to 
maybe put it down a, at least an inch in the ground, okay? So the, your very small seeds are, are planted more shallowly. One other interesting thing is that there, there are a few seed kinds of seeds that actually grow better, um, they, they germinate better with light rather than in the dark. And, and the, the main one that I'm aware of right now is lettuce. It, it will actually germinate better if it's not covered up completely, you know. So just maybe just a thin cover to help it keep That's moist. Yeah, just a, a little light covering to, to keep it from drying out, but um, you know, when, we, when, we're, when we're doing our, our starts, we don't even cover them at all. We just, you know, because we, like I said, we, we start our starts in soil blocks, and we, so we make the blocks and we just put the seeds right on top. There's a little indent for the seed to go in. We just set them down in that indent and um, just keep them moist. You know, you want to keep, make sure the, the blocks stay moist but otherwise, then they'll grow. So, that's, mo most seeds are the other way around, but those are, yeah. Any, like, um, suggestions how to keep the buds away from those seeds? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's another reason for, that's another reason for doing transplants. <laughs> you can protect them and watch them better. Um, yeah, one, you know, we have a, for us, one, one serious problem we have is like with maize, and we'll, we'll, we'll seed maize in the field, and, and two or three days later, you know, crows will come, and they'll just start picking out all those maize seeds. They're just right good. I lost a, pretty much a whole crop um, a couple summers ago to the crows. When you say maize, so I, I, I'm, I'm talking about sweet corn, but I, I mean, either one, it would be the same. Pardon? Maize must be very nice. Well, tell me what maize it, because we, we call it corn, but I. It's field. It's chewy and miserable. Yeah. So what, what do you what do you sweet call corn. it? You call it sweet corn. So that's the same way we use. Yeah. Okay. Now I, you know, in Africa they always call everything maize. So I thought you did too because I, I thought that was a British influence. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, anyways, one one farmer said that what he did for to solve that that problem of the crows eating his, his corn was that he would he would just buy some maize, you know, that, 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 that's cheap, yeah. And he'd put it in little piles around his field. <laughs> yeah. um, trying to think of, oh, you, you, another thing you could do is if you, if you have, there's a, there's a material called floating row cover are you acquainted with what that is? Um, we use it to frost protect. 
and it's a it's a spun bonded fabric and you can buy it in different weights so from heavier to lighter and of course the heavier the weight the less light it goes through it but the more frost protection the more temperature protection you have so but if people also use it to to keep um, insects off of crops so you, you'll buy the lightest um, weight of, of floating row cover and you can cover your crops and keep the insects out so that works until the crop is starting to flower if it you know if it's a flowering crop then you have to open it up but um, it would also work for for the birds and um, for 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 carrots as a direct seeded crop you you want to keep the the soil moist and so we actually set up sprinklers um, and and run them two or three times a day to make sure that that the bed stays moist but another thing you can do to help keep your bed moist is to put floating row cover over it it'll help to hold the moisture in so it'll, it'll hold the moisture and, and protect it from, from birds or other things. Would you be covering your watering system somewhere else? I, yeah, I actually, I think I have it set for the last day, but we're not gonna, I have, I was gonna talk about trellising also and something else, I think, three things. And so I'm not going to have a lot of time, but... Well, I just noticed you, the pictures of the irrigation that you had. Yeah. I'm presuming that was your farm during the video. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not... I, w I wasn't looking at the irrigation, and I'm not sure, because we use a number of different kinds. Yeah. What, what were you saying? It just looked like polypipe with different little... Um, sections coming off it. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we'll run a, a black um, plastic poly pipe as it will we'll run it from the water source. So one that's we'll, we'll usually use something that's between an inch and a half or two inches and and then we'll the system that we have, we 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 put our um, we, we punch a hole and, and put our drip lines direct into that pipe, and and so then we'll run our drip lines direct off of this. Straight in the middle of the bed. No, no. So the bed is is right here, and so we'll we'll run a, a drip line down the center of the bed, or. Probably what we do more often is we'll we'll have two two lines going down it. It depends what we're we're growing. If if we're growing, um, usually if we're growing three rows of something in the bed like lettuce, we'll usually have three rows, and then we'll have two drip lines, you know, so that there's a drip line. When you have three rows, you've got you know the two s spaces between them, so we'll run our drip lines down there. Um, if it's a, a single row, then we'll generally just have one drip line going down. Um, and it's a strip tape that you have running down 
Yes, that, that's drip tape. Yeah. Um, I'll just say for for watering, there there are certain situations in which drip tape and, and drip lines are um, are really good, and there are other situations in which overhead watering is good, and so you know it's it's nice to be set up for both. Some crops do better with overhead. Some do better with 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 the drip. So. Sure. Do you plant in a particular way? Is it certain plants, good certain plants, or do you just have your own system? Okay. Um, are, but are you talking about like growing certain kinds of plants together? Yeah. So we, we like to. And I, I didn't have this on the notes, but I, I was thinking about talking about this. We, we like to rotate our crops. Are you familiar with that idea? Um, there are several reasons for rotating crops. One is that every crop takes, you know, each, each kind of plant takes unique things from the soil. So, some plants take more of this and less of that. You know, a certain kind of, like beets has, a, has a, a different set of nutrients that it's taking out of the ground than tomatoes, for example. So, and, and plants also sometimes exude things into the ground. And so, um, to grow the same crop over and over again in the same place can unbalance your soil over time. Another, and so that's, that's one reason that we like to rotate. So we'll grow everything here this year, next year we're growing that crop here, and then the next year we're growing it over here. Um, another reason for rotating crops is, is disease and, and insects, because there, there are a lot of soil-borne diseases and also pests, insect pests, that, that live in the soil and, and they, they become associated with a certain crop. You know, they like that crop. And so if you keep growing that crop in the same place over time, you, you'll build up that disease pressure. For example, we have something called the Colorado potato beetle that, that likes to eat potato leaves. And um, I remember one time we had grown potatoes in a certain place, and this was when we were trying to, we were adding new fields and, and our rotations were kind of messed up. And the next year came around and we just could not figure out where to grow our potatoes, except in that place where we had grown them the previous year. So we said, okay, we don't, that's not what we like to do, but just the situation, the way it worked out, it just seems like we need to do it again this year. We had a really heavy infestation of potato beetles on that crop that next year, much more than the previous year. So, you know, that's, that's one reason for, that's another reason for rotating crops. Those are the, the two primary reasons. So, to, to make a crop rotation, um, especially if you're growing a wide variety of vegetables, um, can be really cumbersome. <laughs> 
if you're trying to do every single variety, rotate it and, and keep it separate. So we do it by families. Okay, so I, I mentioned the, the brassica family, you know, all these brassica olericas, you know, your cabbage, your Brussels sprouts, your kale, all, all of those plants. Um, grow them together in one, one area. And then, and then we try to grow our, it's a little harder with the solanaceas. The, the solanaceas are your tomatoes, your capsicums, your, um, your potatoes, um, and, and eggplants, yeah, that's right. So the, those are the primary ones. So it's nice to keep them together. And, and then your, like your, your lettuces and, and those kinds of things, kind of keep them together. And so, we, you know, we'll, we have our, our rotation plan worked out by these, these groupings. And, and so we, we move the whole group from this area, this plot, to this plot the next year and, and this one. And there's a, there's a whole science to it. The, you know, there are some, like I said, some crops actually seem to leave things in the soil that are, that are either beneficial or harmful for the, the following crop. So, trying to think, like, um, well, you, you know, legumes, they, they're beneficial for the, the following crop because they usually are fixing nitrogen in, in the soil. Another thing that crop that seems to be beneficial for following crops is onions. And it's not nitrogen, it, I guess it's whatever that they, they exude, but it, it, it seems that following crops often do really well following onions. Um, trying to think of ones that, there are crops that are, that are harder on following crops. I'm not, I don't have anything coming to mind right off, but, you know, the, the, the crops, well, some, um, we, we tend to feel that, that crops like beets and spinach, you know, they're, they're one family and, and your, your, Silver beet and Swiss chard, that's all one family. So um, we feel that, they, that those are heavy feeders. I, I've been reading another author who I highly respect, and he says they're not heavy feeders, so I don't, I don't know, what, you know what he bases that on, but they seem to be heavy feeders to us. And so that means they, they tend to extract a lot of nutrition out of the ground, and, and so you know, the, the following crop, well, you, you need to make sure that they're, you've got a lot of good nutrition in the soil when you're growing those crops, but you might need to do something extra to prepare the bed for the following crop, or maybe you'll want to grow a green manure, you know, for the following crop. And that's something else that we can talk about. Actually, I guess it would be good to talk about it here. Um, the whole idea of, of green manures is the, the idea of growing a crop 
specifically for the purpose of turning it into the soil. And um, we, when we're, when we're, we, we grow on, on two scales on our farm. One is, one is a small scale using these um, 30 inch beds. And then we've, we've done growing on a, on a larger scale for us that's half acre plots and where we're using the tractor. And we'll, we'll usually grow on, on those larger ones, we'll, we'll follow a crop for market with a green manure crop. So we're, so we're, we're always going back and forth. We, a market crop, a green manure crop, a market crop, a green manure crop on the same piece of land. That's part of the rotation. Um, there yes. It's it's a crop that you grow specifically for the purpose of 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 cutting it and turning it into the ground. So, and there 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 are two things, two reasons for that. One is to to add nutrition to the ground, um, particularly nitrogen in the case of legumes, if you're growing a legume. But the other the other purpose is to add organic matter to your ground, okay? And, and we found that it seems that the ideal green manure is at least, is a mixture, it's not a, a single crop, it's, it's, it's a mixture of, of a grain and a legume. And the reason, and, and it could be a number of grains and a number of legumes. Um, but the, the reason for mixing the grain and the legume is that the, the legume is going to fix nitrogen and, and add nitrogen to your field, but the grain is going to give you, you know, it has a, a stock that's heavier and woodier, and so it's going to give you a, a longer lasting organic matter. The, the, the legume is going to decompose quickly. So do you wait yeah. until The, the, the way we do it is we, we keep them in the ground until, until, they're flower, until they've flowered. When, when they flower, you don't want them to set seed because what happens if they set seed, all the nitrogen in the plant goes into the seed. <laughs> and you, know, you, you want the nitrogen in the plant because you want that nitrogen in the soil. So another thing about mixing the the, the legume and the grain is that if your ground is, is deficient in nitrogen, your legume is going to really flourish and the grain won't do as well. And so then you'll get more nitrogen to put into the ground because of that. And if your ground has an excess of nitrogen, your grain is going to flourish and your legume isn't going to do as well. And so it helps to, it helps to keep your soil balanced nutrient-wise as well. And I, I've seen that actually happen. One time we, we had two different plots that we had grown different things on, and then, and then we united them and planted both with a, with a, a mixed cover crop like this. And, and on one of them, it obviously needed nitrogen because the, the grain didn't do very well and the legume flourished. 
and the other one, um, the 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 grain did well, and the legume didn't do quite as well as I mean. So. It doesn't matter if it's oats or barley or whatever you're talking. Can be yeah. You, you know, we'll generally use rye or oats as a, as a or wheat as a, as a winter grain cover crop, and and we'll use. Hairy vetch or Austrian winter peas um, or crimson clover as, as a winter legume. And then for, for the summer, we'll, we'll use, we'll use um, sorghum or millet uh, for, the, for the grain. And, and we'll use uh, some kind of a, a cow pea or something like that for the lagoon. Yeah. So. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.